Section 56 of The Genius by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Chapter 27. Angela was quick to act upon her thought. No sooner had Eugene entered the bath than she gathered up the pieces, threw other bits of paper like them in their place, and tried quickly to piece them together on the ironing board where she was. It was not difficult. The scraps were not small. On one triangular bit were the words, Oh, Jeannie, with a colon after it, on another the words, The Bridge, and another, Roses. There was no doubt in her mind from this preliminary survey that this was a love note, and every nerve in her body tingled to the terrible import of it. Could it really be true? Could Eugene have found someone else? Was this the cause of his coolness and his hypocritical pretense of affection, and not of his wanting her to come to him? Oh, God! Would her suffering never cease? She hurried into the front room, her face white, her hand clenching the tell-tale bits, and there set to work to complete her task. It did not take her long. In four minutes it was all together, and then she saw it all, a love-note, from some demon of a woman, no doubt of it, some mysterious woman in the background, ashes of roses. Now God curse her for a siren, a love-thief, a hypnotizing snake, fascinating men with her evil eyes and Eugene, the dog, the scoundrel, the vile coward, the traitor. Was there no decency, no morality, no kindness, no gratitude in his soul? After all her patience, all her suffering, all her loneliness, her poverty, to treat her like this, writing that he was sick and lonely and unable to have her with him, and at the same time running around with a strange woman, ashes of roses. Oh, curses, 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 on her harlot's heart and brain. Might God strike her dead for her cynical, brutal seizing upon that sacred possession which belonged to another. She wrung her hands desperately. Angela was fairly beside herself. Through her dainty little head ran a foaming torrent of rage, hate, envy, sorrow, self-commiseration, brutal desire for revenge. If she could only get at this woman, if she could only denounce Eugene now to his face, if she could only find them together and kill them, how she would like to strike her on the mouth, how to tear her hair and her eyes out. Something of the forced cat's cruel rage shone in her gleaming eyes as she thought of her, for if she could have Carlotta there alone, she would have tortured her with hot irons, torn her tongue and teeth from their roots, beaten her into insensibility, and an unrecognizable mass. She was a real tigress now, her eyes gleaming, her red lips wet. She would kill her, kill her, kill her. As God was judged, she would kill her, if she could find her, and Eugene and herself. Yes, yes, she would. Better death than this agony of suffering. Better a thousand times to be dead with this beast of a woman dead beside her and Eugene, than to suffer this way. She didn't deserve it, why did God torture her so? Why was she made to bleed at every step by this her sacrificial love? Had she not been a good wife? Had she not laid every tribute of tenderness, patience, and self-abnegation, self-sacrifice, and virtue on the altar of love? What more could God ask? What more could man want? Had she not waited on Eugene in sickness and health? 
She had gone without clothes, gone without friends, hidden herself away in Blackwood the seven months while he was here frittering away his health and time in love and immorality. And what was her reward? In Chicago, in Tennessee, in Mississippi, had she not waited on him, sat up with him of nights, walked the floor with him when he was nervous, consoled him in his fear of poverty and failure? And here she was now, after seven long months of patient waiting and watching, eating her lonely heart out, forsaken. Oh, the inconceivable inhumanity of the human heart! To think anybody could be so vile, so low, so unkind, so cruel! To think Eugene, with his black eyes, his soft hair, his smiling face, could be so treacherous, so subtle, so dastardly! Could he really be as mean as this note proved him to be? Could he be as brutal, as selfish? Was she awake or asleep? Was this a dream? Oh, God, no, no, it was not a dream. It was a cold, bitter, agonizing reality. And the cause of all her suffering was there in the bathroom now, shaving himself. For one moment, she thought she would go in and strike him where he stood. She thought she could tear his heart out, cut him up, but then suddenly the picture of him bleeding and dead came to her and she recoiled. No, no, she could not do that. Oh, no, not Eugene. And yet, and yet. Oh, God, let me get my hands on that woman, she said to herself. Let me get my hands on her. I'll kill her. I'll kill her. I'll kill her. This torrent of fury and self-pity was still raging in her heart when the bathroom knob clicked and Eugene came out. He was in his undershirt, trousers, and shoes, looking for a clean white shirt. He was very nervous over the note which had been thrown in scraps into the box. But looking in the kitchen and seeing the pieces still there, he was slightly reassured. Angela was not there. He could come back and get them when he found out where she was. He went into the bedroom, looking into the front room as he did so. She appeared to be at the window waiting for him. After all, she was probably not as suspicious as he thought. It was his own imagination. He was too nervous and sensitive. Well, he would get those pieces now, if he could, and throw them out of the window. Angela should not have a chance to examine them if she wanted to. He slipped out into the kitchen, made a quick grab for the little heap, and sent the pieces flying. Then he felt much better. He would never bring another letter home from anybody, that was a certainty. Fate was too much against him. Angela came out after a bit, for the click of the bathroom knob had sobered her a little. Her rage was high, her pulse abnormal, her whole being shaken to its roots, but still she realized that she must have time to think. She must see who this woman was first. She must have time to find her. Eugene mustn't know. Where was she now? Where was this bridge? Where did they meet? Where did she live? She wondered for the moment why she couldn't think it all out. Why it didn't come to her in a flash, a revelation, if she could only know. In a few minutes, Eugene came in, clean-shaven, smiling, his equanimity and peace of mind fairly well restored. The letter was gone. Angela could never know. She might suspect, but this possible burst of jealousy had been nipped in the bud. He came over toward her to put his arm around her, but she slipped away from him, pretending to need the sugar. He let this effort of love-making go, the will for the deed, and sat down at the snow-white little table set with tempting dishes and waited to be served. 
The day had been very pleasant, being early in October, and he was pleased to see a last lingering ray of light falling on some red and yellow leaves. This yard was very beautiful. This little flat, for all their poverty, very charming. Angela was neat and trim in a dainty house dress of mingled brown and green. A dark blue studio apron shielded her bosom and skirt. She was very pale and distraught-looking, but Eugene, for the time, was almost unconscious of it. He was so relieved. "'Are you very tired, Angela?' he finally asked sympathetically. "'Yes, I'm not feeling so well today,' she replied. "'What have you been doing, ironing?' "'Oh, yes, and cleaning. I worked on the cupboard.' "'You oughtn't to try to do so much,' he said cheerfully. "'You're not strong enough. You think you're a little horse, but you are only a colt. Better go slow, hadn't you?' "'I will, after I get everything straightened out to suit me,' she replied. She was having the struggle of her life to conceal her real feelings. Never at any time had she undergone such an ordeal as this. Once in the studio, when she discovered those two letters, she thought she was suffering. But that? What was that to this? What were her suspicions concerning Frida? What were the lonely longings at home, her grieving and worrying over his illness? Nothing, nothing. Now he was actually faithless to her. Now she had the evidence. This woman was here. She was somewhere in the immediate background. After these years of marriage and close companionship, he was deceiving her. It was possible that he had been with this woman today, yesterday, the day before. The letter was not dated. Could it be that she was related to Mrs. Hilberdell? Eugene had said there was a married daughter, but never that she was there. If she was there, why should he have moved? He wouldn't have. Was it the wife of the man he was last living with? No, she was too homely. Angela had seen her. Eugene would never associate with her. If she could only know. Ashes of roses. The world went red before her eyes. There was no use bursting into a storm now. Though if she could only be calm, it would be better. If she only had someone to talk to. If there were a minister or a bosom friend. She might go to a detective agency. They might help her. A detective could trace this woman and Eugene. Did she want to do this? It cost money. They were very poor now. Pa. Why should she worry about their poverty? Mending her dresses, going without hats, going without decent shoes, and he wasting his time and being upon some shameless strumpet. If he had money, he would spend it on her. Still, he had handed her Almost all the money he had brought east with him intact. How was that? All the time, Eugene was sitting opposite her, eating with fair heartiness. If the trouble about the letter had not come out so favorably, he would have been without appetite. But now he felt at ease. Angela said she was not hungry and could not eat. She passed him the bread, the butter, the hashed brown potatoes, the tea, and he ate cheerfully. I think I'm going to try and get out of that shop over there, he volunteered affably. Why? asked Angela mechanically. I'm tired of it. The men are not so interesting to me now. I'm tired of them. I think Mr. Haverford will transfer me if I write to him. He said he would. I'd rather be outside with some section gang if I could. It's going to be very dreary in the shop when they close it up. Well, if you're tired, you'd better, replied Angela. Your mind needs diversion, I know that. Why don't you write to Mr. Haverford? I will, he said, 
but he did not immediately. He went into the front room and lit the gas eventually, reading a paper, then a book, then yawning wearily. Angela came in after a time and sat down, pale and tired. She went and secured a little work-basket in which were socks undarned and other odds and ends and began on those, but she revolted at the thought of doing anything for him and put them up. She got out a skirt of hers, which she was making. Eugene watched her a little while lazily, his artistic eye measuring the various dimensions of her features. She had a well-balanced face, he finally concluded. He noted the effect of the light on her hair, the peculiar hue it gave it, and wondered if he could get that in oil. Night scenes were harder than those of full daylight. Shadows were so very treacherous. He got up finally. Well, I'm going to turn in, he said. I'm tired. I have to get up at six. Oh, dear, this darn day labor business gives me a pain. I wish it were over. Angela did not trust herself to speak. She was so full of pain and despair that she thought if she spoke she would cry. He went out, saying, Coming soon. She nodded her head. When he was gone, the storm burst, and she broke into a blinding flood of tears. They were not only tears of sorrow, but of rage and helplessness. She went out on the little balcony which was there and cried alone, the night lights shining wistfully about. After the first storm, she began to harden and dry up again, for helpless tears were foreign to her in a rage. She dried her eyes and became white-faced and desperate as before. The dog, the scoundrel, the brute, the hound, she thought. How could she have ever loved him? How could she love him now? Oh, the horror of life, its injustice, its cruelty, its shame. That she should be dragged through the mire with a man like this. The pity of it. The shame. If this was art, death take it. And yet hate him as she might. Hate this hellish man-trap who signed herself Ashes of Roses. She loved him too. She could not help it. She knew she loved him. Oh, to be crossed by two fevers like this. Why might she not die? Why not die right now? End of section 56